Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The Pod Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 245 of the Filmmakers Podcast! Yes, that's the one. Oh, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Giles Alderson. I'm Dom Lenoir. And today on the show, we have the fantastic Axel Carolyn. She's truly excellent. Very good. Hopefully that won't be the first of the puns that Dom's displays in this intro. Uh, I don't think you did too many in the episode when we recorded No, I think I was quite restrained. You were, for you. So Axel is the director of Soulmate uh, feature film Tales of Halloween. And on TV, she has directed Creepshow. The Haunting of Bly Manor and American Horror Story. How cool is that? And her latest film, The Manor, which is out now on Amazon Prime, which is a collaboration between Prime and Blumhouse. Oh yeah, we talk about that. What else do we talk about, Dom? We talk about acting to directing and making that transition. We talk about the writing process and we talk about horror filmmaking. We also talk about casting, how she managed to get Barbara Hershey in her film. Not the chocolate bar. (laughs) And and how TV (laughs) works, uh, the hierarchy when you're a director on a TV set. We also talk about the freedom that you have when you're making your first film and how life doesn't change after a movie comes out. We also talk about what it's like working with established TV actors and shot lists and visuals and working with DOPs. She also talks about working with the legend that is Mike Flanagan. Axel refers to him as Mike a few times, so that is who she's referring to. It's the fantastic Mike Flanagan, the producer of such amazing shows as The Haunting of Blind Manor and many, many others. All that is to come up on the latest episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. How are you, Dom? I'm pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Good. That's what I like to hear. Getting into the winter elements. Winter Ridge. <laughs> winter Ridge, yeah. for your film. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't good, but, <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> you can help yourself. Go watch that. Speaking of which, it is, you've got a, your other film, uh, When the Screaming yes. Starts. Isn't it playing in a festival, like, coming up this week? It is indeed. It's playing at Film Quest in Ooh, Utah, which is Utah, very highly rated yes. in the, the, uh, the film freeway circuit. Uh, October the 30th. Little plug for film freeway there you should, yeah, you should definitely um have a look at the socials when the screaming starts film or when screaming 
Uh, and also, I've got another plug. Oh, go on. So, your reality that I also had a hand in producing. Oh, yes, for Tatiana Anders. Lovely Tatiana. Yes. So, your reality, which is a, a short film about the very important subject of gaslighting. So, the film has reached quite an impressive number of 100,000 views, uh, which I think is uh, is pretty good going. So, uh, shout out to the film. You can catch it on the socials of your reality film. There you go. Nice little plug for that there. Plug Lovely. Complete. Well yeah. done. Uh, speaking of plugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucky this isn't a video. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, the final chapter of Madness, Stuart Mackey's, he's doing a crowdfunder on Greenlit, the wonderful Greenlit. So if you are so inclined and you do want to support, link for this will be in the show notes. It's called The Final Chapter of Madness. Uh, it's about a washed up journalist desperate from meaty scoop secures a killer interview with a murderer of questionable taste now he's worried he's bitten off more than he can chew uh, they are literally 500 quid away from their goal of five grand this finishes in five days this green lit if you can support chuck some money their way that's a code red code red code red exactly our patreon is going strong yep my one pound is still keeping it alive John puts in a pound a month but do you know what you don't I have don't get to. anything for that pound yeah, you literally do. get nothing for it oh no you no, don't. I don't well that's your own fault because you've got to put more than that to get anything from us right is we do a lot of effort for this and even you well it, it keeps paying paying the dog food to keep sort you alive <laughs> Um, but if you do want to come and join our Patreon, where we have so much bonus episodes from every episode, uh, Toby cuts a really cool little section for you, and then Hugh, our marketing manager, then puts that on Patreon for you. So if you want to join, do. A few for you. There are so many great uh, little bonus episodes on there. Shout outs to our Patreons, some new ones at the moment. Uh, we've got... Dom Lemoir, <laughs> uh, Matthew But the Heart, Chris Hughes, David Sapero, James Skinner, Kevin Pybus, who's a producer on the Patreon. That he comes in sections, uh, and you can be a producer, you can be a supporter, you can be a director. Um, we've got Louise Salter, Richard Miller, the director of Repeat, who will be coming on a, a future episode. We had our premiere screening, our world premiere screening at Sci-Fi Film Fest last week. How was that? That was amazing. It's actually brilliant. For those who came along, thank you. I really loved it. I love seeing it on the big screen. Richard's done an amazing job. Grant's done an amazing job with how it looks. Uh, Kim's Granted. done an amazing job producing. It, it's great. I'm really proud of it. I'm proud to be producing on it. Um, Good work, Giles. Shout-outs to Melanie Gourlay on the Patreon as well. Marley J. Monroe, Jason McColgan, and Sasha Latoya. Welcome all of you link to the patreon is in the show notes do come and join us get all those bonuses and help us keep doing this podcast because like dom says he needs more dog food i said you need more dog food you can't you can't just turn uh, the joke around to be me uh, about the joke i made about you wait, that's, that's lame that's lame yeah you're, you're like, my, like, like the dog i am i'm a bit lame right now um, <laughs> well, that was a good one you should put me down dom is technically taking over because he's doing the alice eve podcast on his own for the first yep. time, boys and girls. He probably wasn't nervous at all. He probably didn't no. shit himself or ask me what to say beforehand at all. I certainly didn't ask Giles for advice. No. Because he just waffles on. <laughs> <laughs> There's certainly a lot more pressure when you're you're solo interviewing someone, especially someone like high profile. It, it's uh, 
Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, they're they're filmmakers, and that's that's exactly how you've got to look at it. And, and they're just as interested in promoting their project as you are about finding out about it. So yeah. And that episode will be coming up for you very soon. Right, Dom's waffled on enough. Let's get to today's episode where Giles can waffle on <laughs> with the fantastic. And I do, but Axel's amazing. He does. You're going to learn does. loads in this one and with the yeah. fantastic Axel Carolyn. Sit back, relax. And enjoy. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. You all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah? How's it going? Pretty good. So, Axel, the last time I saw you, we were on set of a movie <laughs> called... Well, it changed names quite a few times. But it was called something like The Fink, the, the Finks or The Pharynx or something. I don't know. We were making this movie and it was a horror movie. And the woman who was producer on it went to prison for five years for embezzlement of the money. Oh she, shit! Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. I have yeah. no idea. I did. I did two days on that thing, and I was very confused because because they clearly had no money whatsoever, but they mm-hmm. paid me really well, and they sent me a chauffeur to come pick me up and all that shit. And wow. I was like, "This is bizarre. Like, this is weird way of um, of that. using your money because I'm nobody. <laughs> so this is bizarre." <laughs> and um, Charles was and, paying them. <laughs> <laughs> back when I was acting yeah you do anything yeah and then they just vanished they just yeah. vanished yeah. and they made wow. me they, they had this scene where I was supposed to drive off and I told them I can't drive I don't drive I just I don't I've never tried even like and they yeah. were like oh it's gonna be fine and then it turned out to be it took an hour where I had to sit and they they made me put the car in neutral and then they had mm-hmm. people pushing the car at the back it was ridiculous like it was ridiculous. so bizarre you should have, should have used uh, Giles' bike came out. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we should have pushed it I could have been at the front side and went and had it on a rope yeah no that film was there were some lovely people trying to make that film Justice DeJago was uh, the DOP and he made it look beautiful but sadly the people behind it just yeah there were there was something going on and yeah she went to prison so for did it come out did it ever no no because we never finished finish it? it we never finished oh, it we're shit. literally halfway through and they ran <sighs> out of money it's one of them there's nothing more tragic than an unfinished film it's is there? tragic like the, the amount of time and effort that sort mm. of goes into it and you know often it's it's ego or i guess kind of jail worthy embezzlement's another uh, yes, <laughs> another reason <laughs> basically yeah so that was one of them that she was uh there was all sorts going on but anyway Anyway, we've moved on a long time ago. Long time ago. We've moved on massively since then. And it's great to see that you're flourishing as a director. Um, I knew that you wrote back then. Thank you. I knew that you wrote back then. I knew that you were into writing because you were working as a journalist as well. You were writing books and all sorts of stuff. So I knew that you could write. And then I spoke to other people as well who said you were moving into directing. And then our paths just didn't cross for a while again. And it's so great that now they are and, you know, we're all making films and it's a really cool place to be that we can now chat and have that open conversation about what it's like and how hard it is and how mm-hmm. difficult it can be most of the time yeah, to actually yeah. make movies. And you've had that experience of starting out as an actor as well. And and to me, it was, it was just one of many jobs that I did. Like before that, I, I was briefly a publicist actually for the company that's now uh, repping me. Stop Funnily it. enough, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, by complete coincidence. So it's, yeah. it's full circle by complete chance. Uh, but I was an intern and then uh, kind of an assistant for that company for like maybe six months. I did film journalism. I did a whole bunch of different things. And then at some point, I think that when you're 
a girl um, and you're young and you're blonde, like people see you and they're like, oh, you're in the film industry. You must be an actor. So they mm. kind of push you in front of the camera. And I, I just took that chance because that was just an opportunity to work in film. And I, I was crap at it. I was not good. I was terrible. I did you not, really I didn't good. find that it was not my thing. I did not find very satisfied watching myself mm. or going to auditions or any part of the process this was very satisfying and i was still writing scripts at the same time and then at some point i wrote one and i was like oh fuck it i have to make this myself and, and that's what made me kind of finally find the guts to go i i I've, i want to direct and this is what i need to do isn't it amazing that we we sort of sit on it me as an actor for a long time i pushed away from directing and producing and writing i produced and wrote and i put plays on all the time at the royal court and soho and i did get frustrated by the directors but i was like no i'm an actor that's what i'm going to do if i direct it or get in the way of me trying to be mm -hmm. this actor but then as soon as i did it i loved it fell in love with it so much directing that i was like i have to now do this acting that's shit. awesome yeah my first day on set directing my first professional short film was mm -hmm. like oh it's like everything clicks. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's great, and it's nothing to do with whether you feel like you're going to be great at it or not. It's just it just feels like this is my natural environment, and I feel really good, and I feel mm -hmm. like I have a sense of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Yes, and it must have helped being an actor because I definitely think that going through all that shit as an actor made me a better director. What What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Mm -hmm. I think so too. It's also, I, it's, I've witnessed a lot of directors being very scared of actors and not knowing how to speak to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that having this background helps you not be intimidated and having a better idea of the kind of direction you can give people. And I love working with actors. It's one of my absolute favorite things. Yeah. And on, I know on TV shows, a lot of people don't spend much time directing their actors and I still, I still go and I, I know that some people might look at that like, why, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you doing this? And I'm like, this is, this is the job and this is the great part of the job. It's the yeah. most fun. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think a lot of filmmakers, they kind of, they look at films from, okay, I've watched this film and they put the camera here and they move the camera like this and, and this is where the actor goes and this is roughly what the story does. And, and they kind of approach things like that, which I think to a degree you can kind of look at with a lot of departments, but, but acting is, is such a... There's so much difference that comes back from the actor and you really can't approach it in such a sort of a mathematical way. And it's and it looks like a mystery too. Yeah. <laughs> when someone is a good actor, you can't define what it is that they do that's mm. that makes it work. And so it's it's having been there and having sucked at it, <laughs> it makes me appreciate <laughs> that mystery all the more. <laughs> Bless you for saying you sucked at it. You weren't. You were brilliant. Uh, and you, you, were, you were you were great. And I'm sure if you want to go back to it, you would be good too. But I think we also like to put that on ourselves and go, well, look, I prefer the directing. And I say the same. I suck. Some of the movies I'm in, I suck. I'm shit. Other people go, no, you're fine. And we, we take that on board. It's not a problem. We've moved <laughs> no, on. No one said that, Giles. <laughs> uh, well, your first short was, was it Hooked? Or did you make a short before Hooked? that was that you directed i made one called the last post which starred gene marsh um oh. from, from return yeah. to oz and upstairs yes. downstairs and she was fantastic yeah we just shot it in one day funnily it was set in a nursing home like my mm -hmm. new feature mm -hmm. and uh and she was awesome she was in every shot of it and she was just she was 76 and she was such a trooper and fantastic to work with yeah i did that hooked was just something that i made on the beach with a bunch of friends and <laughs> because we happened to have a camera <laughs> isn't that the best way though i think when we're kind of starting out finding out how to make a short finding out what we want to do as directors and what's our voice yeah is that we just go oh sod it 
I've got a friend with a camera, let's go shoot something. And the more I feel, and I say this on the pod and Dom does as well, the more that we go, just go shoot something. Don't need to put it out there. Just go shoot, learn from it, get a bunch of friends and and go shoot. Yes and no. I think it's it's a good thing to do when you're figuring out what you want to do and who you want to be. But I think there's a stage where you have to outgrow that. And I have, I know people who have been making those kinds of films for years and they have no idea how to work with an actual crew because they've done everything themselves. And mm. there's a great strength in that, but I, I'm honestly not sure how that translates into getting a job that's seen as a professional job in the industry. I think there's a point where you need to have that infrastructure and you need to be able to say that you work within that frame and that you, and that it shows a certain level of quality as well that makes you appear ready for a feature, whatever that means. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, when I, when I started out, it was kind of, it, it was doing every, every hat and it was, it was kind of trying big things and failing. And I think it was a, a really good experience, but I mean, there, there came a point when some of the people I was working with still wanted to do the kind of guerrilla you know, style of filmmaking where you just, you'd get actors and you just turn up somewhere and, and it would be like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, we may or may mm -hmm. not get kicked off. And, and I think you can do that when you're starting out, but then there, there comes a point when you're trying to work with people that are further up where if you, you know, bring along a, an experienced DOP or an experienced actor, and then suddenly you, your, your, your location gets shut down because you haven't got permission, mm -hmm. you just look ridiculous. <laughs> you, yeah. So there, there does come a point when you have to uh, certainly like learn the kind of infrastructure. Yeah, totally. Agree. Yeah. I think, and it's thing it's easy to get caught in that, to get caught in the fact that, oh, I can go shoot something every week if I feel like it, but it, but it's never going to be the kind of quality that, or even if it is, it doesn't help you learn the specific job of directing because you're not talking to 25 people you're you're just doing everything yourself and and it's and you learn so much but it's not you don't necessarily learn exactly what directing turns out to be as a professional job yes no i hear you it's it, uh, i think once you're if you haven't made anything go make something and learn yeah. and whatever I, I totally agree once you've made a couple of them it's time to start going how am i going to do this as a proper career and you need proper crews to understand how to talk to them how to be yeah totally agree with that the man now, obviously, we're going to come to massively because it is fantastic. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. I really enjoyed Thank it. And obviously, Blumhouse are behind it. I was, I love the fact that I could get you on for this as well because I was like, I've been wanting to get you on for a while onto the podcast to talk to you about filmmaking, and then the manor was like, oh, perfect timing. This is great. But your your first feature as a director, Soulmate. Let's talk about that first before we come to the manor, if you don't mind, because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, love to know how we first start, how we got to where we are. And it's really interesting to go from a couple of shorts that you made that did well, did okay, to making Soulmate. How was that for you? Because so many people bang on our doors and go, how do I get the first one over the line? How do I do it? Was it the same for you? Were you banging your head against a brick wall for a while? Was oh, yeah. it difficult? Talk us through that yeah. first process of getting Soulmate made. So at the time I was acting and, and I remember going on vacation for a weekend and I ended up in this tiny little area near the Cotswolds and thinking this looks like, and it was back at the time before a woman in black got made or anything like that. And I felt mm -hmm. like there's such a great tradition of Gothic ghost stories that I love so much and that are born in Britain and we're not making this anymore. And I haven't seen a UK ghost movie in such a long time and I'm dying to make one. And I thought the only way I can make something is with no money, most likely because I haven't, I don't have, a huge body of work or name recognition or anything. So I wrote something that was essentially two people in a house. 
and one of them is dead. One, ha one happens to be a ghost. And mm -hmm. everything came out from that. And so I wrote the script and then I realized there's a lot of stuff in there that's very personal. And at first I wrote it thinking I'm going to act and someone else is going to direct it. And at some point I realized I have to make this myself and it has to be my first feature. And so interestingly, at first we managed to get money. It was a little bit over a million pounds. Olga Kurlenko was going to star. Wow. Uh, and we were three weeks from shooting. And then we realized the financiers didn't have any cash flow oh and they God. just dumped us. And we'd been, we'd been prepping for a week and mm -hmm. people were very upset and it was very heartbreaking. And, and they took a month after that where I couldn't even look at a movie. It just felt mm -hmm. so heartbroken. It just felt like, oh my God, this was about to happen. And then suddenly it just fell apart. And that was after a long time, like just putting this together took, took at least a year to, to, to get to that point. And, and I had this big house that was beautiful and it was, it was going to be really cool. Yeah. And then after that, you kind of pick yourself up. I went and made some short films. I changed the script to adapt it, to be smaller and to be something I could just do. I said, I'm going to shoot it. It was like February when I said this, and I'm, I said, I'm shooting this in November. And if I do it with my savings or if we find money, like whatever happens, mm -hmm. if I have, to, if I have to do it for 20 grand, I'll do it for 20 grand. Like mm -hmm. that's, what's going to yeah. happen. And about yeah. a month before we were a month and a half before we were going to start shooting, an investor came in with private equity and put uh, about a hundred in there. And that plus the tax credit at the mm -hmm. time means that we had about, I think the total was like 150 or something like that. Maybe a little right. bit less, maybe a hundred, between 120, 150, something like that. If I remember mm -hmm. well, I can't, I'm not good with numbers, but it was definitely, but was it was definitely around yeah, that. And it was it. two people in a house again. And we, we shot it in, in the cottage that we, the vacation cottage that we found that looked beautiful and added so much production value just because the area was gorgeous and, mm. Yeah. And so, yes, the special effects are non-existent and there's a lot of flaws that come with making something so small. We had no time to edit. We had three weeks to edit. Three weeks? But How come? Why only three? Or is that money? Because or? we, because we didn't have uh, money for an editor. Mm -hmm. And so my then husband offered to edit it for me. And then he took mm -hmm. a job in South Africa. And so he only had three weeks to be there. Right. And by that point, we were kind of in that, oh, but now we've, we're slotted to do this next stage because we got this deal to do it at this specific moment. So we have to go and do it. And, and so we never got to go back and recut it. So when I look back at it, I'm like, why is this shot still going? Why, why am I still <laughs> looking at this? Like, why is this? Everything needs to be tighter, but you can't do that in, when you're, especially when you're inexperienced and in three mm. weeks, and I, there's, I think a lot of the, the issues with the movie come from that, but there's so much about it that I'm really proud of that I think worked out really well. Like the cinematography is great. Um, mm. The DP Sarah Dean is someone I'm dying Sarah to Dean. work with again. So, she's yeah. flying as well at the moment. She's amazing. Everyone talks about oh, her. I she's think so she's, good. She's been talked about on this podcast for a long time. Uh, she's United 93, Captain Phillips. Uh, yeah. You know, she's, she's one of these who's been working on a lot of big films for a while and now has just grown through the indie film scene yeah. and become a, a name that indie filmmakers want to work with Sarah Dean yeah she's great look her up follow her um yeah and she she did that with you and it does look beautiful and I think we always look back on our first films and Dom talks about this a lot and you do go Ooh, oh okay but at the end of the day you got to make it 
You know, you did get to make it. I'm talking about your early films, oh, not yeah, yeah. Winter Ridge. Not when Winter Ridge is great. I was, I was on the verge of being offended there. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my first films were ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous, but but you got to make it. You, yeah. you and that's yeah. an, what an achievement. You know, mm. to actually go, I'm going to be a film director and do it. And have a film that can come out and people can see. And Soulmate's great. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with Soulmate. Like you say, you, you've learned from it, I imagine. And also, you know, where you decided to shoot it and doing it in the house and, and making a very personal story, you're, you're not sort of dealing with like, you know, London studio rates or, you know, thousand uh-huh. pound a day location rates. Yeah. You, you know, you've got somewhere where you can kind of get people out and the local area can be helpful. It was a bunch of people living in cottages and, and I was staying on, under the same roof as the editor. And exactly. The yeah. and, and so at night you could review the footage, you could discuss the shot list for the next day. And But in a way that felt very, um, very friendly and very fun and everybody got along pretty well. Uh, my dog was there, was a puppy, she's in the movie. It just felt like Anubis. it, it yeah, was really yeah. good atmosphere. It was really, really nice. I still, you know, I, I look back on the movie and, and feel very... It's very me. There's a lot of me in there, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. But but I, I'm sure you have the same thing. Whatever you've made, when you look back, you're like, why did I do it? Because you always learn. Because the next thing that you do is always, hopefully you've learned something and you're a slightly different person. And so you look back and you think, oh, that was just full of mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's That's just what being a filmmaker is like, I think. What's really interesting about people's first films is it's, you can't not put your stamp on it. You can't mm-hmm. not, you know, in future films, there's a, a DP might come in and give it a totally different look or a studio might give it a totally different edit or, but your first film, especially if it's low, low budget, it's kind of, you've got your fingerprints everywhere because you've thought about it with an inch of its life. You've on set, your brain is whirring with so much stuff and you, you're still in that short film mentality where you have to kind of do everything. You think you should do everything. And it's really hard to, 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 for it not to be, you know, your fingerprints all over it. And people say it's the most free you might ever be making a film. Oh, when you're yeah. Your I was just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how you felt as well. There's Isn't a freedom to it that you, you miss after that, for mm. sure, because you feel like the mistakes in there are yours. Yes. And whatever is whatever bugs you, you can't blame it on someone else. And and weirdly, that's actually really good. <laughs> you feel like okay, now I've learned from that, and I know, yeah. and and this is why this is like that. And move up the industry so you can blame other people. <laughs> exactly. That's the lesson to take away there. <laughs> but it's but it's much better when you actually know that it's that that the mistakes are. I personally definitely. find it easier to no, deal definitely. with when I'm like, but this is yes, and a hundred percent, this was me, and I did this, and I made that choice, and this is you know, like it or hate it, this is you know. Fun Okay, I made it. I think people respect that as well. Like, it, one of the things people really don't respect, especially higher up in the industry, when you've got someone new coming through, is someone that doesn't own what they don't know or when they've made a mistake and they try and cover it because it's, it's so obvious. Mm. Yeah, but the dynamics are so different when you get mm. to that level. That it's, it's hard to, you know, it's, yeah. those are hard questions. But um, but yeah, as, a, as an indie, I definitely... That's the joy of it. And you still, like you said, there's still a little bit of that short film mentality where you're making the film with your friends mm-hmm. and you feel like this is, it's, it's fun. It's, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's incredibly hard. difficult, but it's also, <laughs> it's, and it's your first one. So you realize this is, you realize whether or not you're made for this. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot about it that is just, it's hard to recapture for sure. And then, and then the other thing you learn is that you make that movie and the movie comes out and 99% of the time, your life does not change at all. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes. You don't have the big offers. You don't suddenly yeah. become a different person. It's just the movie's made and now what's next? Yeah. And and that's that was also hard because it felt like 
there used to be a time maybe 20 years ago where people didn't make movies as easily and mm -hmm. you made a movie that was it you were a filmmaker but now you make a movie and and, and even getting it released is insane and yeah, it's it's a whole battle. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a moment of reevaluating as well. Like you know, when you get to that moment, because that, that's the sort of thing, especially when you've like spent years and years like battling away to get that that film made, and you think like suddenly you're going to feel fulfilled. But you know, it is it is a movie, and the next one will come along, and you'll want to make that. And that's you know, mm -hmm. it's like a kind of never ending cycle, and you've got to kind of learn yeah. to be content with that. I suppose this one didn't really seem to pay off. From it, nothing seemed to come out of it for the longest time, and we had issues with the BBFC. It's like there was a whole thing when that came out and and then it felt like well i've made this and and it doesn't give me the next job and it doesn't give me the big agent and it doesn't get me the great manager and all that and then I, after that years later i met mike flanagan and i'm sure we're going to come to that later but mm -hmm. i i met him at some convention and i was about to say i love your work and he before i can even open my mouth he's like you've made soulmates i love soulmate this is great wow. and, and i was like oh my god someone's actually watched it <laughs> and, and he was very genuine about it clearly because he offered me the job on bly manor based on soulmate based on Are the fact serious? that he felt it was the right sensibility so you never know when something you've made is going to pay off and and you can never say that something was made for nothing or that you oh it never brought me mm -hmm. anything you don't know you just don't know i love that I love that we, it's true because when you everyone almost has a film coming out and they go oh, my film's coming out I'm gonna wait uh, the door's never gonna stop ringing <laughs> you know the phone won't stop knocking I did them the wrong way around and you, <laughs> and you think an agent's gonna come to you don't you? you you're in that world of that's it now I've made it I think we might have discovered yeah. what the problem was for you child. <laughs> <laughs> it, expecting the phone to knock there's a problem here um, and you do and you get you get locked in that that thing of thinking that and I, I know for me I was always had something ready because people had told me that I said and because I had to wait quite a long time before the dare actually came out from when I first started making it so by then I'd actually made another movie that had come out so it was wow. this weird balance for me that was really strange of you've made another movie and that came out before your first one just because it was a studio and there was all sorts of issues with you know with reshoots and finding time to do it and the studio putting it out when they wanted rather than you know you can put something out when you want but I think it's really important as a filmmaker whether it's first time or not to have something ready because the amount of agents they did meet or people who you know you pushed on the door to go <laughs> hello they were like cool what have you got what's next and if you didn't have anything and it's also true that sometimes the things you don't think will be interesting to them are the ones that that are like mm -hmm. you might get you know a producer might work a lot in thrillers and then you you've got a thriller ready to go and it just doesn't grab them and then something really obscure, obscure you've got that you haven't touched for years and then suddenly you mention it and, and they're they're you know completely excited by the idea or you know the industry's changed since they made their mm. movies so you never know what what they're going to be interested in i think it's always good obviously to have stuff that you want to get made that you can present to people but i also feel like we shouldn't put that much emphasis on i need to get that thing happening the moment my movie comes out because mm. i think the industry has changed a lot i think that things are not seen at the same maybe it's true when you have a big theatrical movie and then you want to have that next project before your movie comes out because the performance is going to be every people are going to talk about the box office everywhere so you, you need to not be seen as a failure but if you do a movie that comes out on the more modest way or if it's a streamer or something like that i don't think that it's something i've struggled with quite a bit because i have this movie now and i have a couple of other tv episodes and i was like why is the world not opening up for me and and it's just 
I think things are just a little bit different. I think, and especially with the pandemic and everything, things work slower and they don't. Mm. And, and having that emphasis on it needs to happen right now, right after my thing comes out, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way anymore. When Soulmate came out again, nothing came of that. <clears throat> and then I made another movie called Tales of Halloween and not much came out of that either. And then I wrote a pilot that was inspired by things that, you know, I was always into Victorian times. And then I went to a, a funeral and weirdly the emotions that I felt being there kind of made the story come together very quickly. And I wrote this thing in two weeks. And that got me my manager, which got me my first job here that was paid in the writer's room for a TV job. And then that got me my agents. And then that got me like the next steps and got my my career started. But it all came from the script that I wrote in the middle of a time where it wasn't doing anything. It just, you know, it just, you just don't know when something is going to resonate with the right person and is going to propel you to the next the next stage mm. of your career. And filmmakers definitely put themselves under an incredible amount of pressure. Uh, you know, I, I did after, you know, my last one and, you know, I'm working with a couple of directors and, and they've got the same thing. They're like, you know, where's the next project? I need to get mm-hmm. it off the ground right now. And, and often it's not the project you think and it's not at the time when you think that it does come through and, and sometimes you do just have to carry on and keep working away at stuff. Mm. That's very true, yeah. What about your writing process then? You talked there when you weren't working or when you were seeing what was next, you were writing. What's your process like as a writer in the midst of the madness of filmmaking? Messy. Messy. You're messy. Okay, talk us through your messy writing process. How do you do it? I used to not enjoy writing very much. I guess it's still true to a degree, but it used to be a thing I would do just because I needed something to direct. And I've learned to like it a little bit more. It's crazy, but you know, there's, there's all kinds of schools of thought about structure and about, you know, some people will tell you, you just write from your guts and it doesn't matter what the structure is. And and I used to be that person. And I was like, I don't want to be constrained by, and then I realized actually structure for me, when I use it properly is incredibly freeing because it helps me have an idea of what should come next and how to, how to put my thoughts into order. And so now I just go with like a basic structure that there's maybe 12 points and then I try to fit my story into that. And, and it doesn't mean that suddenly it becomes a very Hollywood cliche kind of thing. It just mm-hmm. helps me when I don't know where I'm going to kind of reconnect to, oh, this is the stage I'm at. This is the kind of thing that should happen now, ideally. And so you're not, it doesn't need to be that super rigorous kind of... Save the cat. <laughs> well, actually, save the cat is the one I use. And okay. I love it. But, <laughs> but you, can, you can take liberties with it. And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that everything's going to fall into the same mold. It, it's If you use it properly, if you use it when you need it as a backup for when you feel like, oh, I'm mm. not quite sure, I'm meandering, I should cut down on that, then then it really helps you put back on track. And, and it's helped me understand that there's things that you need to put early on that pay off later. And like this little game of like, here's a seed you plant, and then mm. here's where it's going to pay off. And, and all those things that make writing much more fun than if you just take it as this kind of, oh God, I got to put this, oh, I got to come up with 90 pages. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> it's true because it is frightening that oh, 90 pages type thing or you get to 70 pages and you haven't even got to your second act yet you know and that's (laughs) frightening see i have the opposite i have 70 page scripts that's my issue it's very often i have like this cool idea and then i have trouble develop and that's where structure really helped me Mm -hmm. because then i'll be like oh but i'm missing that moment where the character is at a low point or oh i'm missing that moment where you think things are going well And, and it's all those little kind of 
it helps you see, oh, this is this is the kind of thing that I'm missing in there. But I do have the opposite issue where I'm, I'm way too concise in my writing. Going on to some telly work then in terms of, you know, The Haunting of Bly Manny, you said obviously you pitched very well, but you also got it because they, they, they'd watched Soulmate. But The Haunting of Bly Manor and then Creepshow and obviously American Horror Story, you're going into shows that are oh, established or are about to be established and you're taking other people's scripts and directing them. How mm-hmm. did you find that? Because this might have been one of the first times you've done it, because I think you've written everything else. Yeah, uh, I love it. I love it. My first experience in TV was uh, in a writer's room for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. And that's the job that got me my agents and, you know, kind of put me on the track to have a not just an indie career, but a career in Hollywood that's kind of considered something more traditional and where you feel yeah. like, oh, wow, I'm getting paid for this. You can, you can actually make money <laughs> of writing those yeah. stories. Can't this you get paid for this? What? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it took me like 15 years to actually figure out, mm. oh, yeah, you I can actually get, make good money out of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got that job. And so so you kind of learn the politics of the writer's room and, and how TV works from that side of things and, and the the power of the showrunner and the position of the directors and the writers and, and like the hierarchy is very different from filmmaking. So by the time I was on set for Bly Manor, I knew that this is not a director's medium and I was expecting not to have that much freedom. This being said, Mike is a very unique showrunner and that he picks filmmakers that he matches with the material and he's very, very good at figuring out who's going to be good at what. And so he got me this episode that felt like the most amazing gift because it was just so much what I love and so much my shit. And mm. to a point where I'm like, how can he read my head? <laughs> you know, it just, it was, it fitted my sensibilities so well. And so I got there and I had put together some visuals and, and it's, for those who haven't seen it, it's episode eight of Bly Manor is a separate episode where you go back in time and it's black and white and it's 17th century. And so it's a completely different look and it's a different cast and we've mm-hmm. changed the sets. And so everything, it was shot at the end of everything else. Everything is kind of different and you can come in and reinvent things to a degree. And he gave me so much freedom and it was, um, you know, I came in, I had my visuals, I explained the kind of things that I had in mind, the kind of themes that I saw, how I saw those characters. I had discussions with Kate Siegel and Katie Parker, the two lead actresses. And Mike just kind of went, you know, I love this. I love the sound of it. Just go for it. And really trusted me and really... Wow. And it felt very empowering because he also, he didn't just like, just go and do your thing. You would know that he was happy and and he'd be like, oh, looking at the dailies, this is awesome. And so when you have that support team and and people that you highly respect who tell you you're doing a a good job, you just Mm -hmm. want to do it even better. So it was, it was really exciting. It was really, really exciting. And it felt like it it still feels like perhaps the piece of work I'm the most proud of at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, the one that I got to do with something that felt personal, where I had a lot of freedom and like soulmate, we had the money to make it and to make it look really cool and I absolutely love that episode. Yeah, and you should be. You should be very proud of your work. It is fantastic. I remember watching that with my missus and really enjoying it. Um oh, it's thank great. You. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And obviously Mike Flanagan there, he's obviously made The Haunting on Hill House. Wait, have I said that the right way? Yeah, The Haunting of Hill House. Hill House. So he's a fantastic name. So going into those meetings then, how do you prepare? You obviously said you put everything down, you know, you pitch in the right way. Now you No, you don't. (laughs) You don't actually for TV. That's the weird thing is that you don't pitch. TV is really bizarre in that, I mean, you can't, if if you have a connection to material, that's great. But very often you go into that meeting, you have no idea what what you're going to be doing. Like for American Horror Story, they pitched Mm -hmm. the season. When when we talked, they told me what the season was and they talked to me about the episode. And the only thing they're judging, which is kind of horrendous in some ways, but also kind of awesome, is just, can we work with this person? Mm. It's by the Mm. point where they make that uh, connection with you, they're familiar with your work. They know the kind of stuff you do. They just want to hear if you're excited, if you seem like a decent person, and and if you can, you know, if you could collaborate, if it if it clicks. That's very much what it's about. It's weird. Like so you don't have tons of times of coming in and pitching to have the job because because you go into a framework that's already established. So you can't go mm-hmm. and say, This is the crazy thing I'm gonna make with this. I mean, again, why is a very, very specific thing where I was very lucky to have that freedom. But when you go on to American horror story, there's a lot of believe me, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of places where you can feel really uh, creative and have a lot of fun with what you're shooting, but the framework is there. You're not, you know, the actors are in place. The look is established. Like all those elements are there. So you can go and pitch and say, I'm going to make it, you know, suddenly it's going to be a uh, technicolor. Yeah. It, it's just, you, you yeah, fit yeah, into totally. that. Yeah. So it's right. more a question of our, our sensibilities aligned. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's it. And going into show like that, when the actors, like you say, and the showrunners are very established within those roles, you know, you, you Evan Peters and Sarah Paulson, etc. How do you go in with your own kind of directing vision, if it were? Or even though you're saying it's not a vision, but you know they kind of know the roles. I know they changed all the time in American Horror Story, but because mm-hmm. obviously directing a film, well, it's your baby, and you can play and shape. Well, here you can't necessarily shape. How did you work that? How did you manage on that side? It's of it? a really good question. And I think you adjust to whoever you work with and you try to figure out how they like to work. Sarah Paulson has a very specific way she likes to work that's completely different from Angelica Ross or from Frances Conroy. Mm-hmm. And so you take a little bit of time to figure out, you ask the showrunner, is there anything I need to know about the way they like to work? And then you take a bit of time to figure it out. And then the way that I like to approach things is a lot of TV directors don't direct. 
they don't direct actors. They don't come in and give those kinds of, like, they direct the style and they will, but working with actors, they feel they already know their thing. They do their, you know, they do their own mm. thing. And, and I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> just, course. Yeah, we're all the same. It's such a fun part of the, the game. I, I just love it. And But but some actors, you know, to only come in for very specific things. And and again, you learn to speak their language. You learn the kind of instructions that they like, the kind of directions they like. And yeah, and then I also feel like I would never go and tell them who their character is. I won't go and say they would do that or they would do it like this. I will go and say what I feel the emotion in that moment to me could be. And sometimes it's more when you have someone who's very established and very comfortable in the role, sometimes it's you let, I always let people do their first take or first and second take and see what they have to mm-hmm. offer and what they have in mind. And then I'll go tweak if necessary. But, but very often it's just kind of, you get that right. And then you go in and you say, as an alt, I would love to try this kind of emotion or this kind of tweak. And then, and then you see if how they deal with it and how they receive that. And yeah, it's a whole different game, but it's it's really, I love it. And I, on the last day of American Horror Story, I was working with three different performers who were all really great and all very established. And all three of them work completely differently. So it was very, very interesting to see how you mesh that when everybody's in the same scene. Yes. And like I so said, you must love, like, and you can hear it in your voice and see it in your face for those who are only <laughs> listening, how exciting it is, you know, to work with actors. The to happy be on face. That, the happy face, to be <laughs> on set in that moment when it's just you and the actor and you know the camera's set, you know all the lights are set and you've done a take or maybe two and you just come in and play. For me, that's where I come alive and I love it. I feel passionate and I can tell by the way you are as well that you do oh it's awesome and it's again even if you're working with that 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 established kind of style you you still feel like you can and you'll work with top quality people the dp i worked with on the american horror story was phenomenal and and, yeah. and he works three cameras at the same time and somehow he finds those amazing angles and <laughs> wow. just it's so cool but and and then you have those fantastic performers like working with sarah paulson is like mm. such a you know playing with the super fine-tuned instrument and yes. she brings so much nuance and so much. And Francis Conroy, same thing. And they surprise mm. you with the things that they bring. And, and yeah, it's really, it's really fun and rewarding for sure. And, and moving on to the manor then, because look, you, you know, it's, it's fabulous. It's I, I, like I said, I love this movie. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, you should be very proud of what you've achieved here and what you've made. Let, if you don't mind, give us a little pitch. We'll play the trailer for the manor and then let's, let's dive into it. The manor is the story of Judith who is a 70 year old who's had a stroke and she moves into a new nursing home and she realizes that the inhabitants seem to think there's a weird presence in the house that's feeding on them and she starts seeing it at night as well and obviously this being a nursing home the more she talks about it the more people think she has dementia and she gets locked inside and so it's uh it's all like is it in her head is it not in her head and since it's most likely not in her head how's she gonna deal with it <laughs> i wasn't ready for this change But my prognosis isn't good. You don't belong here. Don't worry, I'll be okay. Whatever's coming next, I don't want my family to see me like that. How do you like your new home? It's beautiful. Takes a bit of time, but you'll fit right in. Anyone there? Are you okay? Last night, I saw something. What was it? 
not being able to distinguish between what's real and what's a dream. That's a sign of dementia. <gasps> Whatever I've seen at night, it's real. Mom, we all want you to feel better. Why won't you believe me? I need to get out of this place. The only way you're getting out of here is in a box. Look at these names. My roommate, she died last night. All the others have died too. When you experience something disorienting, close your eyes and count to five. When you open them again, whatever you saw or heard will be gone. Amazing. Uh, that was the trailer there as well. Look, yeah, this film is out now on Amazon Prime do go support honestly you, you'll love it if you like horrors if you like supernatural if you like slow burns if you like brilliant acting and brilliantly well directed uh pieces but because you're listening to this you should just go watch it anyway it's on prime for fuck's sake go watch it uh it's brilliant but it's also available around the world as well isn't it it's also yeah it's on prime everywhere it also yeah. it's like it's the length of this podcast episode so if you have time to listen to this you definitely have time to watch the movie 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i mean maybe watch the movie instead uh, 100%. <laughs> if you've got this far stop now watch the movie and then come back 100 percent for sure it's all about supporting indie filmmakers that's yeah, why definitely. we do this that's that's the point go watch these films I, i've that's one of the good things i loved about doing the podcast is not only getting to talk to cool people like yourself but we get to watch indie films all the time yeah it's great it is, it is a pleasure getting to watch these films i'd say yeah yeah it really is so look, uh, the manner. So did this idea come from some something that you'd experienced, or was it just sort of let's see what flies, see what comes out in your whole writing process? I, I've always been scared of of aging and seeing other people age, and and, mm. and how you change or don't change, or how people perceive you as being different all of a sudden. And and that I was fascinated when I was little by the fact that over a certain age, people seem to turn into those cookie baking machines who drink tea and call you dear and like but I don't don't know anyone who's like that mm-hmm. you know in movies that's the way that they're portrayed and I was like how what how am I going to turn into that because I'm not that person at all and so it felt like am I going to change like as a child you have trouble understanding those kinds of things and mm-hmm. so it's always been kind of part of me and then I saw a couple of family members end up in nursing homes and having to visit them and you know the the, the way that it kind of impacts you and confronts you to how you're going to be at that age. And it raises a lot of questions and, and all that was kind of bubbling into um, the way that I like to process things is always supernatural stories. You know, writing's an expensive form of therapy. So it's, it just came out <laughs> as something that felt very personal and that I was very involved in and was inspired by again, seeing my dad in nursing home and, mm-hmm. and, but then it took the form of this somewhat goofy, supernatural story i think it can be quite a you know quite a scary time uh, you know seeing seeing family members because people are they learn all their life to be incredibly independent and then and then suddenly they're kind of going to a place where they maybe need a bit more care but then in some respects i guess some of your freedom is is kind of taken away uh, mm-hmm. from you that was very much what i was fascinated by and what i what i thought was 
terrifying. And, and it, that was the bigger part of the movie originally. It kind of turned into something a little bit different, but that was definitely that idea of like, people are going to treat you differently. You're going to lose your independence little bit by little bit was, mm. was the part that I found personally the most, the scariest, mm. the most impactful for sure. Mm. And, and and the film looks beautiful as well, you know. Uh, Andres Sanchez, I hope I've pronounced his mm -hmm. name correctly. Mm -hmm. I mean, just beautiful. You know, the whole film. And I think, you know, especially you coming from the horror world, not only as an actress, but certainly your last films and your TV, doing another horror, it, it, I think that's great. Some people say, you know, you should change genres, move this, but actually people know what box you're in. They know what kind of a film an Axel Carolyn film is going to be. And I think that's a really great thing. And I thought this looked amazing. And I liked the way you made the old people's home frightening. You know, it, it, you could have not, you could have done it much lighter or, you know, but actually you've mm -hmm. made this oppressive sort of scary house and therefore the shadows were shadows and what was coming through the curtains and all these moments were were they in a head were they not i thought it was oh, beautifully made to me it was it's important to make things visually appealing and and it felt like because we we're dealing with such a depressing and dark subject matter and and mm. such real world concerns I wanted something that felt a little bit gothic and a little bit kind of not completely real world. And so I chose this house that looks more like a gothic castle than, than mm -hmm. it would like a traditional nursing home. Yeah. And, and that yeah. changes the look of it completely. I wish we'd shot in a place that wasn't uh, constantly sunny. <laughs> that mm -hmm. would have changed the look of it quite a bit. And it was much more originally conceived to be kind of with nature and trees and forests. Like when I wrote it, I had the UK in mind and you shoot in LA, it's a very different look, obviously. So it's that those things change the atmosphere of it. And, and sometimes I, I kind of wish that we'd had less luck with the weather and, and more rainy days and, and to have that more oppressive atmosphere, mm. but you work with what you've got. And speaking of which with Andres, did you design, had you, did you, it's always interesting how directors work with cinematographers. Did you send a load of pictures backwards and forwards? Did you watch films together? Talk us through that process. So he came on board reasonably late because prep was very fast. This is not, a big movie. It's it's Amazon and Blumhouse, but it's pretty pretty small budget. So we had four weeks for prep, which is very mm -hmm. quick, and and that included finding our crew and our DP, and wow. was very specific on the kind of. I didn't know Andres, but I found his um, his reel, and then I looked at some films that he'd made, and and I was very specific about the kind of work that I wanted to see and the kind of look that I wanted. So mm -hmm. um, he came from Miami, and we met. Uh, he flew all the way here to LA to just for a meeting. So he was really, you know, he was really eager to, to work on this. And, and that meant a lot. And yeah, we had about two weeks to, to prep together, which is not much. And at the time it felt okay because having worked on mostly indie films, it felt like that's, that seems like an appropriate amount of time to shot list and to discuss mm -hmm. visuals. And by that time I already had all my visuals kind of put together and we, we printed pictures that we put on the walls of our office and, and Andres is very easygoing and very adaptable so it works really well with TV it's been really interesting to learn and especially on Mike's shows learning more about the prep process and he is so thorough when it comes to prep I, I kind of I really wish I could be a fly on the wall when he's prepping his next show because it's mm. so developed and like the, the shot lists that he comes up with are those massive bibles and he wow. knows by the time he shows up on set, he knows exactly how many cameras we're running at what point, uh, what lens we're going to be on, what distance we're going to be at. The sets wow. have been built 
to this shot list so you know what works. It's very, very, very specific. And, and everything's been discussed with the DP. There's obviously there's always stuff that you don't expect, but but it helps so much eliminate, like they know that this setup will take 25 minutes and they know that lighting this will be with those lights and it's going to take that long. And, and so I'm trying to learn to be, I like being adapt, adaptable. So I know I'll never be, and he is completely, but I mean, I'm, I, I like to slightly shoot from the hip when I'm on set. So there's a little bit of kind of finding that balance, but I'm learning to more about prep and about how to be that thorough and that kind of specific. And, and especially when you have short days, which you always do. You always do. You think yeah, you've got lots yeah. of time and you don't. Um, how did it come about then in the first place? Because it's Blumhouse and it's Amazon. How And it was, it yeah. was by the sounds of it, just before the, the TV things was really kicking off for you. So, yeah. How did it come about? Because everyone's going, Blumhouse, we wanting them to ring <laughs> ring my doorbell or whatever. Like that, ring, my, <laughs> ring my door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the script has a 70-year-old protagonist. So not that mm. many people in Hollywood are into that, which is kind of what the movie's about. It's about ageism. So the mm. irony of seeing people read the script and then going, could it be about the grandson or could we make it about a mental yeah. institution so they could be younger? So mm -hmm. a lot of places like the script but they didn't necessarily like that aspect. And then we brought it to Amazon, this uh, amazing exec, Aldo Chang, who kind of shepherded the script throughout, found it and was really excited by the, the, the age of it, the, the age aspect of it all, and, and thought that made it very original, was excited by the, the casting prospects and, and thought that would be really cool. So Amazon picked it up and then they were about to get started on this deal with Blumhouse. And they said, everything we're going to do that's going to be a horror is going to be through this welcome to the Blumhouse deal. Wow. So, so we were kind of passed on to Blumhouse um, as the production company. So that's, that's how that happened. It is, it is amazing. And I think it's great that you kind of stuck to your guns on, on the age thing as well. Mm -hmm. Like some, some of the most textured, interesting actors are that age because they've, they've been through life. They've been through so much. They've mm -hmm. got so much nuance in their own experiences that it, it really does add a lot to it. And I think it's a, a shame that, you know, a lot of the time films do kind of brush over the older actors. And speaking of which, you've got the amazing Barbara Hershey, who you haven't worked with before, <laughs> <laughs> into this film. How did that come about? Was it again, did you send her the script? Was it a case and then sit down and have a meeting? Because Barbara's obviously yeah. done Black Swan falling down, Hannah and her sister. She's a, she's a big star, you know. So She's amazing. She's in The Entity. She's in mm -hmm. Insidious. She's, she has even just within the genre, she has such great pedigree. We discussed with the casting director and he he had a bunch of ideas. And then I think that it's my agent who suggested Barbara Harshi. And the moment that the name came up, I was like, oh, that would be so great. That would be so awesome. What is she mm. up to these days? And it turned out that she had the time at that point. We sent the script. I wrote a little letter to go with the script. And she responded really quickly. And she wanted to meet. And, and I always joke that this is the filmmaker's worst nightmare when the, the lead actress, the potential lead actress wants potential. to go through your script yeah. and with you mm -hmm. to see if it works out or not. But it, it was actually really good. I went to her house and we spent like three or four hours going through every detail of it. And we were on the same page, which was fantastic. So it felt like, oh, this can actually, this can actually work. And so she signed on and I think it was pretty close to shooting. I think she had maybe a week a week or 10 days before we started shooting. So it was wow. a bit of a scramble after that, a scramble mm. after that. But she was so, you know, she's so focused. She's so serious about every, like she doesn't take it like, oh, it's a silly horror 
thing that I can just kind of wing on the day. She, she's mm-hmm. very much like she wanted to know everything about the drama, about the character, about what every line is supposed to mean, about the emotion behind everything. And I love that. I think that, you know, it was, it was such a good, it was a really good collaboration. Yeah, it sounds it. I love that. It's so important to connect with your actors, especially when yeah. suddenly you've got to go to the house uh, and, um, and instantly connect and they've got to like your work as much yeah. as you do. And that's, that's it's frightening. It's and frightening. the secret is that the first few days on set, I don't think we liked each other that much. Really? The first few days was a bit touch and go. And we, we, I'm very, we talk about it very openly now because we, at some point, somehow things clicked. Thank God. A few mm-hmm. days into it. And we kind of suddenly understood, oh, I can, oh, I can trust you. Oh, this is, oh no, we're making the same movie. It's fine. And then we kind of, she likes to say we fell in love because we became very close friends all of a sudden. And we could make fun of the fact that the first few days we didn't get on that well, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, I think, for an actor to, to trust you with their performance in that you will be the one who after that molds it into whatever you want. You know, you have mm. the, the dealies and, and sometimes if you say, can you do a take that's different and they don't believe in that, they know you could use that take. So, so it, mm. it takes a lot of trust for an actor or the director and, and for the director to trust the actor as well. It takes, especially when you've lived with that script for as long as I had, it felt like, but this is my baby. How can I completely trust someone else with it? So there was a tiny bit of adaptation and then and it just, again, it just clicked that it was fantastic. I think a lot of, a lot of um, directors find that with like really established actors is that they go through that. And, and it, it seems to be like a very common thing, the sort of testing of the director, uh, and, you know, for all the reasons you say, but once you get past that and they kind of accept you, then, you know, they kind of know they're in safe hands and, and you get these amazing performances. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's a great thing as a director to have gone through that and, and to know that you've kind of, you know, cut it with someone that's been through so many productions and so many good mm-hmm. filmmakers. And feel like they trust you and they relax mm. and, and, and yes. they have fun. We had yes. so much fun during this. <laughs> Which is great because they don't want to be in a movie that, that they know is going to be terrible. And they yeah, could, so it, they yeah. test from the off. Yep. Let me just push and see if I'm going to get mm-hmm. anything. But otherwise, I'm do just going to walk through doing? this. <laughs> yeah, can I be bothered with this? Yeah. And then as soon as you show them you can and you know what you're talking about, and actually we care so much about this, mm. things can change. What else yeah. did you learn? Because you mentioned there about, well, not necessarily you learned, but the stuff that happened there. Was there anything else here that would be great for our director, producers, writers listening that you learned <sighs> from, from making the manner a lot <laughs> i've learned a lot through this and then all the tv stuff that i got to do after that um yeah. one thing that was definitely a steep learning curve was i mean this is not it's again not a big budget but it's not an indie film it's not you don't go in and make your own thing you work for specific companies that are established and have specific ideas of what they want and what the product should be and how you're going to get there, especially in post dealing with the whole diplomacy of I'm not just making my movie, I'm making a movie for someone else. And, mm. and there's a process that resembles working with the studio that I wasn't familiar with, that I'd right. seen other people work through when they made studio movies and all that, but I'd never been through that. And so figuring out your way, kind of not losing sight of what the movie that you want to make is. And then, but taken into account all those different voices and that was a very steep learning curve for me that whole diplomacy of that side of things right i was my first one was a studio movie so i learned even though i'd made docs and i made shorts myself and stuff so i was suddenly in a studio system where there was notes coming from people i never even met and giving mm-hmm. proper right you need to change this or we're not putting this type you know we won't put it out like this that yeah or they do it themselves hard. yeah or they'll just do yeah. it themselves and get rid of you you know and you suddenly go oh my god and you panic me 
because it was my first one, I panicked. I think if I'd done it the other way around, like you have, I I'd be like, well, hang on. No, I must stick my oar more in the ground. It's, it's, it's great studio movies and moving into that world, the difference between indies. And it is difficult. There's no question about it. And the difference between telly, everyone knows it's different. We as directors have to adapt. What advice would you give yourself then, I suppose, looking back? now you know and that you can help other filmmakers with for becoming a director in the first place and that that question you'd about ask this you movie or generally no, in general speaking. this is now in general <laughs> usually uh, and this is half a joke but half not when people ask me how to be a director i usually say don't um <laughs> don't do <laughs> don't that do it's it. crazy <laughs> it's a bad idea but but i think that the idea is that if someone can talk you out of being a director you shouldn't be a director yep. if someone goes and tells you well you know this is crazy and you'll never make it and you give up they've done you a favor because this is going to be insane and it's really fucking tough you know mm -hmm. you work many many years without even knowing if it's going to add up to anything at any point and i'm not even talking about whether or not you're talented i'm talking purely about whether or not you're going to be given that chance and whether or not that chance is going to at some point amount to a career and how long that career is going to last and right now i'm having a really good moment and it feels like a lot of stuff is paying off but i'm very aware of the fact that you just don't know how long these things last and it's difficult it's a really difficult career and it's very challenging kind of mentally to to remain optimistic and to keep you know i think that to be a director you have to be told that there's a 99 chance that you'll never make it whatever making it means mm -hmm. and you have to hear that and go oh there's a one percent chance this is awesome that's gonna be me <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> or, or, that or it doesn't even matter if you make it because it's just it's just the only thing you can imagine doing i think that's that's also mm -hmm. yeah yeah well there's that too yeah i mean try and make it obviously <laughs> yes because if you don't if you don't make a living out of doing it yeah you of course yeah doing it but it's a hobby it's not the same yeah. you know it's, it's very true it becomes a different thing but it's uh yeah i don't know if that's advice that's worth anything but it, it's just like know what you're in for i guess i think that's brilliant advice i think it's so true and i think i think that's really good advice for for the tv and the studio thing as well like you know go into it know what you're getting in for you know maybe yeah. you have to give away some decisions but you're getting this amount of budget and it might allow you to do the next one the way you want to do it yeah i think it's very much knowing what you're in for is a very good way of phrasing it i think mm. that when you go into a tv episode and you know that you can't have ownership in the same way that you would an indie movie it's very important because it allows you to relax into the job and to enjoy it and to and to learn from people who are doing things in a different way and and to not place those same expectations of I need control of every bit of it because it's just not the way it works. And hopefully on your next projects, you'll have control on everything or on the one after that. But every one of them is a stepping stone to get to learn how this industry works, how this crazy, like every facet of this insane industry works. So true. This has been fascinating. Mm. I could keep talking to you forever and this could be part twos and threes in this, but we should <laughs> let you go. Uh, the manner is... It's a real achievement. Honestly, you should be very proud. I think the Thank work you. you've done uh, as well from the first movie and up, and I really enjoyed Soulmate as well, uh, I think is, is brilliant. And you're a real voice for filmmakers out there right now, and I think that's great. So keep going, keep believing, and we will be that 1%. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's so nice to speak to you after all it's this time. It's been such a pleasure. Awesome. I know. 
Yeah, it really is. It's really awesome. Uh, cool. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen. You can be the 1%. And if you're lucky enough to rise <laughs> up and do well, as Axel says, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Uh, I've been Giles Olsen. Dom, who the fuck are you? I'm me. <laughs> Great. Axel, Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.